Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideIndySports.com on the Rivals Network. It has been quite the week since our last Inside Indy Sports Podcast. Wide receivers coach Chancey Stuckey has been fired, and an expected replacement has been identified in Wisconsin's Mike Brown. Ten active Notre Dame football players have entered the transfer portal. The Irish have already added a transfer portal commitment from Arizona State Nickelback Jordan Clark. More big-time visitors, including Duke quarterback Riley Leonard, are expected on campus this week. The ACC Bowl assignments went bonkers, and Notre Dame ended up in the Sun Bowl. Xavier Watts won the Bronco Nagurski Trophy. And I can almost guarantee something else has happened between the time we're recording this and the time you're listening to it. Uh, To dissect all the big news from last week, we've tapped WSBT Sports Director Pete Byrne to spend some time with us. Inside Indy Sports has partnered with WSBT TV, the local CBS and Fox affiliate in South Bend this season. You may have seen my sweaty forehead or Eric's shiny glasses in one of their videos this fall. Pete, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here, guys. Always fun talking with you guys. Uh, Pete, I wanted to start with the wide receiver situation. How surprised were you by the Chancey Stuckey firing and how big of a loss are the wide receivers that have entered the portal? Um, Yeah, I'll start with Stuckey. I think what surprised me most was the timing of it all, particularly given what we had heard Marcus Freeman say less than 24 hours earlier. Um, if if we had not had that that interview session with Marcus Freeman last Monday, or if he had simply not answered that question the way he did, if he had said, look, we're going to evaluate everything, and as things happen, we'll let you know, if he had just not answered the question. So honestly, it seemed at the time, less so now, um, I don't think it would have been a shock, and that's not to say that I thought Stucky did a bad job, but 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 their offense was not what people thought it would be this year, particularly the passing game. Um, and there, there's only a couple of directions you can look at if you're going to make a change, right? You can make a change of receiver. You can make a change of quarterbacks coach. You can make a change at OC. He made it pretty clear he's not interested in changing the OC in that, in that same, uh, in that same interview session. So I, I don't necessarily, wasn't necessarily shocked that that was where his mind went after evaluating, but I'm, I'm, I'm shocked that it happened again less than 24 hours after we heard him say, I want everybody back on the staff if they want to come back. My original thought when I heard it, because, you know, it's not announced. You hear that he's he's out. It's like, all right, well, did they fire him or is he leaving to go somewhere else? Because when Freeman says, I want everyone back, and then a day later, Stucky's out, you're like, well, maybe Stucky wants to go to the NFL. Or I I originally thought Texas A&M for no other reason than Elko's got an Notre Dame tie and there's a boatload of money for assistance all of a sudden. I mean, who wouldn't want to be an assistant coach there right now, right? Um, even, even if you only last a year, you're going to get paid. Um, so what surprised me most again was the timing of it, given what we had just heard, um, 24 hours earlier. Uh, second part of the question, the receiver movement afterwards. Um, some of it surprised me. I don't think Tyree surprises me so much given that he's a grad and he's, he's, you know, I, I don't think he's projected to be an NFL guy currently. You guys could correct me on this if I'm wrong. So he's probably looking to bolster that. And if he, and if I'm a wide receiver and I, and I don't know who my quarterback is next year, and I don't feel like I did enough this year, certainly in his position, I that doesn't shock me. Braylon James on a year where almost every freshman receiver got a lot of touches, didn't get any, so that doesn't shock me. Rico Flores shocked me quite a bit because you could only project him going up. So my so So now I wonder, again, does he have quarterback questions for next year? Was he really close to Stucky and not happy? 
Um, does he have an issue somewhere else on the coaching staff, whether it's with Parker or Freeman? Um, or is it something completely, completely independent of all those things? And we may never know the answer to that, right? I mean, at some point he'll land somewhere and he'll talk, but more often than not, the, you know, every once in a while we find a guy that, that, that bears his soul every time he opens his mouth. But more often than not, the proper way for him to answer that is, is the polite way that doesn't give any, any information. But his was the one that surprised me the most just because I can't imagine there are too many freshman receivers across the country at Power 5 programs that got the kind of opportunities and put up the kind of numbers that he did. He appears to be a guy who's on track to reach his next level goals, given what he did this year. So in light of all that, Pete, um, I'll keep this simple. Did Marcus get, if you're going to get rid of one of those positions that you just mentioned, did he get that right? And and I'll preface it by saying you can spin the numbers both ways for Jared sure, Parker. Sure. You can say in totality, Notre Dame put up some of its best offensive numbers in the modern era. You can right. look at the teams that they played and say more often than not, they exceeded in yardage and points what those defenses were giving up. Mm-hmm. And yet there was that lull in the middle of the season. There were key points where it felt like Notre Dame couldn't adjust within the game. So my question to you is, if if you were the head coach and you were given the choice of keeping only one Parker or Stuckey, who would you keep? Um, I mean, that's that's a hard question to answer and, and because it's – it's is that the scenario that we're in? Like, does he have to get rid of anybody? You know. Well, I was at a hockey game the other night, and there was nobody sitting in that coach's. Yeah, area. in that corner, right? <laughs> no, so I mean, so I'm not. Uh, as I try to answer the question, um, I mean, you're right. I, I've been going. I've been thinking about about Parker a lot over the last month, as it's as it's been a hot topic, um, and it's and it's kind of hard because of the numbers that you said to. It's kind of hard to justify the poor, the not just the poor performances and the losses, but 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 really poor performances. Like, and not not Ohio State so much. That was a low scoring game, but but I mean, I thought the game plan for Ohio State was pretty good, and they just didn't finish it at the end. And who knows if they do finish it at the end, how that trickled how that trickles down. But 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 Louisville and Clemson both offensively were were so mistake ridden, and they seemed so unpoised that 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 you know. That makes you think about the offensive coordinator position, um, but but you're right. At, at the same time, and I and I know you've seen this, Eric, over the years covering teams. It's a be careful what you wish for situation. So if you if you're to put the blame on Parker and say, all right, this wasn't good enough. We they looked bad against Louisville and against Clemson, and that's enough. I I, I think it's dangerous to ignore the fact that they scored the second most points they've ever scored. Right? In is 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 that where the number ended up? That's what it appears to be. Like, yes. like how, like how often do do you see programs? Um, do you see like mid level power five programs get a taste of a good coach? Like he goes, he goes ten and two and nine and three, and then he goes seven and five, and they get rid of him, and they never go seven and five again for decades. You know, because it's, be careful what you wish for. So it, I, I don't, I don't know where I'd put the blame. I'm, tr- I'm trying not to. I'm trying not to. I'm not trying to dodge your question, Eric. I. What what I don't know is what was what if was, you dodge a question, I'm never coming on TV again. <laughs> um, what what I don't what I don't know is what, was the dismissal of Stucky really simply about wide receiver production and growth, or is there something else there? Right, like Marcus Freeman has to have a staff that he trusts and believes in, and everybody 
to 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 you everybody's rowing in the same direction right um and if if they all were i'm not sure you need to make a change anywhere necessarily right i thought the thing he said last monday about when he was a first year coordinator and they weren't great and he was so glad luke fickle didn't can him after one 12 game stretch because he figured a lot out and he also talked about we've had one full year together as an offensive staff year two will make a difference i mean i think clearly we saw that was the case defensively right defensively they look much better in year two in golden system so if if you believe that to be the case I don't see why you necessarily have to make any changes with your assistance on offense if you believe that um so the fact that he did makes me wonder was there something else that we don't know about or in his in his breakdown of the numbers was was there was there evidence as they're looking at stuff maybe not even numbers just as they're looking at film are they consistently seeing evidence that the wide receivers are underperforming in ways that maybe we're not noticing right the, the my follow up to that would be uh, m- my premise is Notre Dame deserves the best 10 to 12 coordinators in the country on both sides of the ball yes and 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 Parker even with the great numbers wasn't that this year agreed but what i'm going to ask you is did you see things during the course of the season that would lead you to believe there's that kind of growth potential in year two i I saw i saw some things um and it's maybe it's not as impressive i mean i thought they looked really good to start the year like they clearly had a vision for who they were going to who they were and what they were going to be um i i i think maybe he fell into the trap and again this is me projecting from where I sit, he fell into the trap of of trying to win games one at a time instead of, hey, we're Notre Dame and this is what we do, right? So you've got this game plan for Ohio State that that that's maybe a little bit more different than what you would normally like to do. Um, and then you start you start playing your opponent so much, you stop you stop being who you are. Um, that that I mean, sometimes you, they just I feel like they just forgot to hand the ball to Audric, right? They were so they were so caught up in hey they're showing us this so we want to do this and and they overcomplicated it and sometimes I think that's just an experience issue right he's a super young offensive coordinator but the fact that against the non elite defenses they seem to be able to put up points almost any time they wanted more often than not I mean I, I take that as a good sign right and I don't mean like necessarily you know Central Michigan or Navy right but like. I mean, I know USC wasn't a great defense, right? But they but they play against good teams all the time, right? I mean, if you can put up good points against power five against the mid-level power five schools, you're doing something right. So I did see the potential for growth there. I what I what I wonder, and again, I don't know how much of the how much of this you guys have gotten into over the past year and how much we know is if Notre Dame's gonna have a top ten coordinator, you gotta pay him top ten money. Yep. Are they willing to do that? And again. I don't know the answer to that, but if the answer is no or maybe, well, then maybe that's the best that Marcus Freeman is able to get, right? That's, I mean, that's the other side of the equation that we don't we don't fully know, or at least I don't fully know. Yeah, I there's would. Th- a, there, I would. There, there's a difference between this is the this is absolutely the guy I want, and this is the best guy I think I can get currently, given the restrictions that have been placed on me, and we don't know well, what those are. If he has a media salary, they're really in trouble. That's <laughs> yeah, I would think Al Golden's going to require that for if he's going to stay on staff. I don't I know, do, yeah, um, what that would be if if Notre Dame were to go in a different direction at offense coordinator, which it doesn't seem like it, it's plans to do if, if that same kind of money is there for the offense. But I think 
that if if I'm allocating money, I would be allocating money more money for the offense because that's not where Marcus Freeman's expertise is. True. Um, so one of the answers for next year's offense for Notre Dame appears to be Duke quarterback Riley Leonard, who's coming in for a visit this week, as I mentioned earlier. Um, Notre Dame wants to get him out of the transfer portal. It seems like there's a very good chance that happens. How does that impact your outlook on Notre Dame's offense next season? Is he the right guy that Notre Dame should be going after in the portal? And do you think that Notre Dame should have been going after a portal guy as the potential starter in the first place? I, I do. Th- I think. I think in this current era, you always need to go after a portal guy at every position that you can get him now, right? I mean, and and that and and I think my view on this is has evolved in the last two years. I'm sure your guys' views on this have evolved too, right? Um, mm-hmm. I tend in the recruiting game, I tend not to get too worked up over guys Notre Dame doesn't get because there are a lot of guys that just are never going to make it through there, right? Uh, it doesn't matter how good they are playing their sport. Um, but now in this in this era where you can grab a guy for a year, if you can grab a guy for a year, I mean, I think you have to look at every every option that's out there at every position, right? Because this year they lost wide receivers, but what's to say next year they're not going to lose linebackers or offensive linemen or safeties, whatever the case may be, right? Like anytime you can get a player that you can project as a starter right away, I I think you have to take a shot at him. Um, and certainly at the quarterback position. I mean, I mean, geez, if if the kid from Ohio State's leaving, who's who's not tra- like who who outside of the top four teams is not transferring at quarterback at this point, mm-hmm. right? So I, I mean, it almost feels like it's a like it's a like it's a one year rental every year on guys. I mean, it'd be great if CJ Carr comes in and plays at Notre Dame for four years. But have you seen anything in college football the last three years that suggests that that's likely? You know, that's not to say that you won't. It's just like, that's just not how it's trending. So, yeah, I think you absolutely have to go for a quarterback because now it's no, it used to be about developing a guy so that when he's a junior and a senior, you can cash in on it. Now you're, now Notre Dame cashed, cashed in kind of on Wake Forest doing the work for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And had Tyler Buckner didn't have a good year at Alabama, but had he, they would have been cashing in on Notre Dame's work, right? Um, Notre Dame cashed in on Wisconsin's work to some degree with Cone. so yeah, they got to. As for whether or not he's the guy, I, you know, I, I've only seen him play a handful of times. It seems to me like there, he, he doesn't strike me as is one of those four or five guys that are like elite, right? In my opinion, um, based on what I've seen. But he's strike, but he's seasoned. He's fine. I mean, I, I don't think that if you get a guy like, like Leonard, like, you're probably guaranteeing yourself at least eight wins next year. Right. As opposed to being in a situation where a shoot, you're looking at maybe five and seven, six and six, because you've got a brand new quarterback, which could be the case if they had to go with a young kid, just because you don't know what they're capable of until, until they go through it. Um, but I, but I also don't think that Notre Dame fans are excited about a prognosis of an eight and four, nine and three, even 10 and two in the current, in the current situation. So I, I don't know if I see Leonard as a guy who's going to go 12 and 0 next year, right? Based on the few times I've seen him. Um, that's that, that doesn't mean they shouldn't go after a portal, portal guy. Right. Um, I'm not sure if there's any guys in the portal right now that I look at and think that's the difference between Notre Dame being in the playoff next year and not. And having said that the playoff next year is easier to make. Right. So that's that like nine and three is probably good enough now. Right. Or at least it puts you in the conversation. So if that's what, so if that's, if that's, if that's your target, right. Nine wins. I mean, he probably does the job, provided everything else falls into place. 
Pete, it's interesting to me because there's a couple dynamics with Riley Leonard before I roll into my next question here. One is he kind of helps you defeat the loaded box problem because of his running ability. Yes. Yeah. Um, also, you're throwing more on Parker's plate because he has to kind of retool the offense to make it fit Riley Leonard. Mm-hmm. And then I also think the Notre Dame fan base is not excited because while Sam Hartman delivered the numbers, he didn't deliver the story. Correct. He didn't deliver the fairy tale yeah. that right. they wanted. And so they're like, why take a transfer? You need to develop yeah. your own guys. And and yet you look at the three Heisman finalist quarterbacks and they're all former transfers. And you look at five of the top 10 and pass efficiency, their transfers. Right. I think you can do it both ways, but you know, if you have a transfer and you have good young quarterbacks in your quarterback room, I think that's probably I, the optimum solution. Don't you think? Oh yeah. I, I mean, I think you have, I mean, you need to have, you need to have options, right. For sure. Cause you, if for no other reason, you you can't predict you you've never been able to predict injuries but now more than ever you can't predict next year's address right like right. guys could I mean again if if Rico Flores can leave then then who can't leave you know in terms of if, in terms of production you you, you want to know a guy though that also helps your offensive coordinator against the loaded box Tyler Buckner right I mean <laughs> I mean that's that not the future not the, lacrosse player Tyler Buckner. It, yeah, but is he also a future football player? I think that is the sneaky backdoor right? storyline to all that. Right? All yeah. I mean, thing. I mean, he's got such a small sample size. Um, and it's a volatile sample size, but there's some there's some flashes of excellent in it. Right. He was the Gator Bowl MVP. Yeah. My my follow-up after all my blather there is looking at Marcus Freeman. I'm kind of asking you a similar question to the Parker question, but a little bit different as he goes into year three. And I'm sure you get this when you're out, you know, at your son's games or your daughter's games and stuff. People wonder, hey, do you think Marcus Freeman is eventually going to be a really good head coach? What What's your answer? I do think he's eventually going to be a really good head coach. Um, I think some, I think he does some of the things, I think he does some things really well that, that a lot of that a lot of coaches never get. Um, so first of all, he's he's recruiting really well, really early in his career, like better than he probably should be, right? Um, and I think it's and I think it's just because he connects with these kids as a former player um, and as a guy who was who was really really good in college, but yet still not good enough to make it in the NFL. Like he's like like he's the typical like Power Five college football story, right? Unbelievable player, yet you're not going to wind up signing for $30 million and then being done, being done working at 30, you know? Um, and, and he's, he's a super personal guy, right? personable guy. So I get why recruits like, I get why the recruiting's good, but the reality is not everybody can recruit. Um, he seems to have a really good work ethic, right? Like he seems to constantly be grinding again. That's also something not everybody's not everybody does. We've seen it, right? We've seen it n- not just in football and other sports too. Right. So I mean, those those are two good places to start. Uh, he was a good coordinator when he was a coordinator. I, for as for as much credit as Al Golden has been given for what the defense has done this year, I think we'd be foolish to ignore that that Marcus certainly has to have some sort of hand in that, right? Um, so, I mean, he's he he he's in an interesting situation at Notre Dame, and in that he inherited a good team, right? 
almost every other Notre Dame coach that's yeah. come in has inherited a rebuild and he didn't have to do that. So it's hard. It's hard to, it's hard to look at what he's done in two years and compare it to his predecessors. Cause it's not an apples to apples comparison, but he's done better in the first two years than just about anybody. Right. Um, and he's doing it. And I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's revisionist history. I guess, I guess the game's constantly evolving, but I feel like there's been more, more changes in college football in the last three years with, with portal and NIL in playoffs than than we've seen in any other era you know i don't maybe you disagree with that eric but i feel like not at all i feel I, like there's i a agree ton. and yeah. i don't so know like, if you saw the tweets about charlie baker in the ncaa this morning about yeah i did my gosh yeah i mean this is child's play compared to the changes that may be coming right there's zero stability right now so he offers some of that he's he's a bit of a workhorse he's having good success i mean he and but as a young head coach, and I've said this before, like it's it's imperative to surround yourself with some some veterans, right? And the one thing I mean, he he needs to be a little bit careful of is that like their staff is not old, like they have a pretty young staff, right? And a young staff with an old coach can be invigorating, right? But with a, a young coach with a young young a young staff with a young coach can just be young at times, and I think sometimes. Their staff looks young. So, like, I think while he will, as he becomes less young, I think he's going to be a better coach, right? And he's going to be able to take more chances with his assistants. But I, I I, think that part of the reason why he's struggling is because on the offensive side of the ball, you've got, you've got a young receivers coach, or you had a young receivers coach, and then you had a young coordinator, right? And while you don't have a young offensive line coach, you have a drastically different offensive line coach from what all of those linemen have been used to for the past several years. Um, and Joe Rudolph might be an excellent offensive line coach, but but he's different from Harry Heastand, right? And what Harry Heastand yeah. did worked. Um, and, I, and I also think that we'd be foolish to discount the Bayless effect in this, right? Um, not that I saw them looking weak or slow at any point this year, but but so, so much of the identity is, identity of a team and a culture of a team is, is driven yeah. in that in that weight room. And so I, I, that's a really big hire he has. I know I'm starting to get off topic here. Um, But, but you ask him, I think he's going to be a good head coach someday. And I, and I really do think that he will, will grow into an excellent head coach if he's in the right situation. Um, My, my fear as someone who covers Notre Dame and as an alum of Notre Dame is my fear is that it won't be at Notre Dame. It'll be somewhere else is that he'll make his mistakes here and be better off for them. And and he'll hit his ceiling at another school, and people in South Bend will, South Bend will be left wondering, man, why couldn't that have happened here? Well, to change t- uh, topics a bit, Pete, I wanted to talk about the Sun Bowl, Sun Bowl and where Notre Dame's sure. <laughs> landed with its bowl selection. I heard it's on CBS. Have you heard that? Yeah, yeah, I bet. Uh, should Notre Dame be bothered by landing in the Sun Bowl? Should, should Notre Dame be... Uh, annoyed by the way the ACC bowl process played out uh no and yes so no they should not be annoyed by being in the sun bowl I mean it's I though there you've got your big six and you've got everything else and then next year it's going to change a little bit you're going to have your playoffs and you're going to have everything else and that's I mean in, in what do I want in a bowl game as a fan I mean especially next year if you're not in the top 12 
I mean that it's top twelve in everything else next year. Mm-hmm. Right now, there's a there's a few tiers. Like you can you can feel good about a Fiesta Bowl even if you're not in the playoffs or, or what have you. Um, but in a bowl matchup, I want to be I want to be I want to be playing a good team. You know, and 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 it's a great way to end the season and I think launch into the next year if you do it right. And it's also getting to be a little hard to evaluate because so many guys don't play right. I mean, right. It, who, we have no idea. I know we're gonna get to this. We have no idea who's going to play in this game for either side in a couple of weeks, but, but it sure feels like it's not going to be the two teams that played most of this year. Right. Um, but no, I, I, you know, El Paso may not be as sexy of a destination as San Diego or Tampa, but it's, it's, it's a legit bowl game uh, against a legit opponent. So like, I have no problems with that at all. Um, second part of your question, the ACC, I would be annoyed by that. <laughs> um, but and I'm annoyed by that, but I, I, I just got the sense that the ACC got so worked up about what happened to Florida state that it forgot its responsibilities to the rest of the league and spent the day feeling sorry for itself and trying to chase something it no longer could reach than just, I mean, this shouldn't be complicated, right? We know exactly where Notre Dame, go- we know where everyone goes based on record and where Notre Dame goes based on those records. And somehow it got fouled up and I'm, and it sure it sure sounds and feels like it was just sour grapes on some people's part, right? So yeah, should they be annoyed? Yeah. What does that mean? Doesn't necessarily have to mean anything, right? Um But it was ACC certainly didn't come off looking good on Sunday. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I I'm curious your guys' take on that. I think I to kind of shorten my answer, I agree with a lot of what you said. And if you're not going to be in one of those major bowls and the ReliaQuest Bowl against Brian Kelly got eliminated for them because of some dominoes involving Alabama and right. so forth. I, I'd want to go someplace where they sold out the stadium, where you were going to have the majority of the fans, that that city was going to treat you great, and El Paso is that. They've got that, yeah. I, I mean, they love Notre Dame. They're happy Notre Dame's coming. And, you know, again, it's not sa- as sexy as San Diego or Tampa or maybe even Elkhart, but um, <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, those people in El Paso are amazing. It's a mm-hmm. heavy, heavy Catholic area. Um, and I think – so far, Oregon State hasn't had anybody opt out on the defense side of the ball, and they're pretty good on defense. They're 15th in the country in rush defense. Now, they've lost some very key offensive players, but I think this is actually a better bowl matchup than playing in the Holiday Bowl against a USC team again and without mm-hmm. Caleb Williams and his fingernails. Better than maybe the Kansas State Bowl, though there were some there are some neat storylines had they played in the Pop-Tarts Bowl, the edible mascot and stuff. Um, but um, And you don't, don't want to go back to the Gator Bowl, and you would have been playing Kentucky, an unranked Kentucky team. Yeah. So I think I think they're – and Tony the Tiger is involved in, with this, so I, <laughs> I, I'm on board with the Sun Bowl. What, what do you think about the ACC, the whole ACC, just the the optics of Sunday? It was awful. I, I I can tell you this, Pete. A source told me the Pop Tarts Bowl was expecting Notre Dame to be in its bowl, mm-hmm. and they 
were line they had lined up a press conference time with Marcus Freeman to talk on Sunday. Yeah. That's how much the ACC deceived the their own bowl partner mm-hmm. about what was going on. I thought the ACC just really handled it poorly. There was no transparency. And, you know, people on our message board were ticked off about it, and justifiably so. Mm-hmm. I think this ACC affiliation has been good for Notre Dame, but it wasn't good on Sunday. It wasn't good on not, Sunday. Not because of where they ended up, but because right. of how shady the and and botched the process was well i i agree and i you know i i tend to because you know because i i get two and a half minutes to tell you everything that happened in a, <laughs> in a 24-hour period i t- i tend to go very macro with everything um to me it feels like when you look at where notre dame is right now heading into 2024 with completely new leadership on the horizon and a completely new college football landscape it's not a good time for the ACC to be treating Notre Dame like a part-time partner, right? Yeah. Because because the Big Ten and the SEC have separated themselves from the rest of college sports right now, and and it and it looks to me at least like there's likely going to be a third league that emerges, and we're not going to have we're no longer a Power Five or down to a Power Four, but it might turn into a Power Three. And if Florida State and if the Florida the Florida schools and Clemson look at the SEC like you've heard rumblings of. And I don't know. Last time I checked, are there are there any schools in the Midwest in the Big Ten that are near Notre Dame? <laughs> like, I mean, like you know, I mean, if at some point, I know Notre Dame wants to remain independent, but if some point the landscape is such that they have to join a league, this ACC partnership was created so that they could fit right in. But now you got to wonder, like, is that the right fit for them? Again, I'm getting way off topic here, but when you but when, but when you see that and you see the schools that would be left. All of a sudden, that league is a lot less appealing in a lot of ways, you know? Well, it screwed Florida State sure in getting into the playoff. I mean, yes, it was their quarterback being injured, but had they said, well, look at the look at the teams in the ACC they already beat, you know? Right, and they beat LSU. Yeah, they beat, they beat LSU. They beat Florida. They beat two SEC teams. That was probably in their favor on the resume. And not only that, the, the chairman of the committee is an ACC athletic director. The guy that uh, that let Cal, SMU, and uh, and Stanford. Stanford. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, again, I got way off topic there, but I, I it was it was a bad day for the ACC, and it did. I mean, what happened to Florida State was that's that's that sucks for them, right? Um, and and I understand both sides of it, um, but but the, but the ACC's reaction could have been like like they got way off topic and and ruined the whole day. It feels like and their Pete, reputation in a way. Pete, you mentioned earlier that we don't necessarily know who's going to play in the bowl game. Notre yeah. Dame seems to be selling that Xavier Watts is going to be playing in the bowl game. A tweet mm-hmm. while we were recording this uh, from the account was uh, promoting tickets to the game with saying indicating that Xavier Watts will be playing. You could catch nice. Xavier Watts playing in the game. So that I think that would be good news for Notre Dame if that remains true. Regardless of who plays in the game or not, there's guys like Xavier no, Watts no who have stuff. have have NFL decisions ahead of them. Um who is the guy that you think is the most important but also realistic stay or go guy for Notre Dame, whether it's Xavier Watts, Howard Cross, Riley Mills, 
Blake well, Fisher. I, I'm sort of excluding Audric Estime and Joe All because I don't, I don't I think, think those guys are coming back. But I don't think so either. Yeah, you had to pick one guy who's the most important to you. Well, well, Xavier, Xavier's one of them certainly. Um, and I, I probably wouldn't have said that three months ago, right? But he's mm-hmm. had a phenomenal season, right? Um, and what I have, what I haven't done is, you know, I mean, we notice the interceptions, right? That's what everybody notices. Um, I. I'd like to take a deeper dive to see what else he's doing great, right? Like, is he has he been phenomenal everywhere, or does he just have the numbers that people notice? You know, because if he, regardless of his decision, like he's not going to pick off seven passes next year. They're just it won't happen, right? The numbers, the 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 history says it won't happen. They'll stop throwing the ball his way, which in and of itself is advantageous. But he, I mean, I I feel like he's probably he might need to be a strike by the irons hot guy, right? Like it's going to be a hard time, hard hard for him to duplicate what he did this year. Um, I, I, I gotta, I would, I would say though, the guy that's most important to get back is Blake Fisher, but good Blake Fisher, right? Like um, you're, you're probably losing alt. You've lost Carell, although you've got the guy to to slide right in for him. But I mean, I losing both your tackles to the league at once. I don't know how many teams could overcome that without somewhat of a step back. And, and I think Fisher still has some stuff that he needs to prove next year. I mean, I thought that he was good at times this year, but he was sloppy at times this year. He had, he had some really unnecessary penalties. I thought the kind of things that'll, that'll ding you in a league's evaluation and the kind of things that usually as guys get older and more mature, they just stop doing right. Like at least the good ones do. So like, I think it would be good for him to come back and show that. And I think if, if Blake Fisher were to come back and be the, be the player that he can be, not just the player that he was sometimes, I mean, I think that would, I think that would be huge for Notre Dame, right? Because mm-hmm. there aren't too many guys in the country that can do what he can do. Um, and losing him and Alt on the same day would leave a huge void. I don't care who's behind them and how good they might be someday. They're not that good right now. My last question for you, Pete, is if you are Sam Hartman, mm-hmm. do you play in the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl? Um, it, it, I I don't know. Does he want to play in the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl? That's kind of my. That's kind of my. That'd be that'd be what I'd wonder, right? Like I don't know how much he can help or hurt his cause, NFL wise, in this game. If he has a great game, it'd be fun that he played. No, it, you but said that wrong. Great. Okay. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> if he has that kind of game, it's not gonna it's not gonna boost his NFL stock, I don't think. Um and and, and an injury would hurt his stock, but I but I don't know if he's being projected as a draftable guy at this point anyway, or maybe a really late round guy. His I mean his path to the NFL seems pretty narrow at the moment. So I mean I think I think he should absolutely play if he wants to play, if he wants one more college game. Um but if he feels, but if he also feels like there's diminishing returns, I, I mean, I, I don't like that. That's where we've trended to, but I totally understand it. That's just kind of, that's just kind of the new norm, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Pete, before we let you get out of here, uh, our listeners may not be familiar with your Notre Dame background. What's your favorite story to tell about your time as a student around that uh, football? Program? Oh man. I can't tell you my favorite story. Um, Eric's actually heard one. one. Eric's actually heard one. Socks. Let me let me tell you that. What's that? It involves socks. It involves socks. It sure does. Yeah. No. Oh, my favorite story. How do? Where do I even begin? Um, 
All right, so here's this. This is only a quasi Notre Dame story, but I'll tell you this because um, th- just because this occurred to me recently. And Pete was a manager for the football team, by the right? Way. Yeah. So for the people that don't know, I went to Notre. I graduated in '99. I was a I was a football manager for two years and a hockey manager for two years. The two years I did football were Lou Holtz's final year and Bob Davies' first year. So two different coaches, two different regimes, two different. Well, the staffs actually weren't all that different, um, but two very different experiences. Um, I saw, you know, there's, there's these weird conversations that pop up on Twitter all the time. People are asking questions and they want to hear stories. And one that popped up recently was like, what's the most, uh, what's, what's the strangest interaction you've ever had with a sports celebrity? Yeah. Um, and so now I'm saying, I'm like, oh, I've got kind of an interesting one, just strange. Um, so I was at, uh, I was at. Fenway Park on my 21st birthday, my, my, my wife, who was, who was my girlfriend at the time, that's what she got me for my birthday was tickets to the Red Sox, really nice tickets. We were like maybe 15 rows back behind the plate and we spent the day in Boston and did all that. And I'm a huge, I played baseball growing up. I love baseball. So, and I had not, and I had, I'd only been to Fenway Park once. So I really wanted to go there. Um, She's from the Northeast. Um, So we're there and uh, we're watching the game and it's middle of the game. And just watching the game, and all of a sudden, I get hit really hard in the back of my shoulder. Like somebody like smacks me hard, and I turn around, and it's Urban Meyer, and he goes, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "What am I doing here? What are you doing here?" And he's like, "I'm sitting right back there." And he was back there with a with a couple of guys his age. He's probably about ten years older than we are, and uh, and he's like, "Guess who got me the tickets?" And I'm like, you, and he's like, Clemens. I'm like, all right, that's cool. I'm like, how come you're sitting back there and I'm sitting up here? And he's like, yeah, shut up. And so, so it's, I don't know how funny it is, but it's a, it's, it's a, it's a unique, uh, I can tell people that I got punched at Fenway Park by Urban Meyer. And, 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 and we, and also that we ran into each other at Fenway Park and he's the one who recognized me. Well, <laughs> so, I, and the I've reason why he, so the reason why he recognized me is that I was his manager. So I was assigned to him for an entire season. So we literally spent three hours a day together for, you know, probably four straight months. So, and this was only a few months removed from that, which is when we ran into each other. It was before Urban Meyer. It was before he was Urban Meyer, you know? Yeah. So. I, I've got a new Notre Dame story now because you said he's about 10 years older than us, right? Yeah. Probably we're all weird. in the same age group yeah. now. And I'm going to tell that story. <laughs> Eric, you should, Eric, you should welcome that. I, I am. I'm flattered. And I know it's probably because of my immaturity, but I will take the compliment anyways. Never grow up. All right, Pete, that's all we got for you. We really appreciate you taking time to talk to us. And uh, obviously, we'll be working alongside you here as Notre Dame gets ready for the Sun Bowl. And we appreciate all your time. Yeah, my pleasure. And it's, it's been fun working with you guys this season. Looking forward to continuing that. Uh, let me throw one plug in real quick for your sure. listeners that are in the South Bend area. So obviously, we know that the bowl game is on CBS 2 o'clock on December 29th. We're going to do a live pregame special that day on WSBT at 1.30 so if you want Notre Dame football coverage, in addition to the game itself, uh, you can turn on WSBT a half an hour before kickoff. Um, and instead of instead of whatever national syndicated program in the rest of the world is going to see, we'll have a half an hour wall to wall of Notre Dame football with with 
with live reports coming from El Paso leading right up into the game. So we'll have that on the 29th. And do you have any special guests that might be on that show? Pardon me? Do you have any special guests that might be on that show? Maybe somebody my age, roughly. (laughs) 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 If I can find that. All right. Well, yeah, if you're in the area, make sure you catch Pete and Eric on the Sunbowl preview show on WSBT. um, And uh, we'll catch you later. All right. Thanks, guys. Always fun. Before we get to our question segment, I wanted to remind our listeners of our subscription promo for InsideIndieSports.com. We're offering a 30-day free trial to our podcast listeners who want to try out a subscription to the site. That will get you access to all of our premium content, the Inside Lounge message board, and you don't have to wait for the next podcast to ask us a question. You can take advantage of this offer by using promo code NDPOD, that's N-D-P-O-D. When you sign up for a subscription on InsideIndieSports.com, you can also find a link to the deal in the podcast description or show notes. All right, now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND or Eric's at EHansonND. First one I have for us, Eric, is from Bob underscore Oxnard on the Insider Lounge. Now that number one, now that our president is my namesake, Father Bob, will you and Eric push my questions to the front of the line, or is this a Pharisee situation in which this first shall be the last? Two, what are your thoughts on Xavier winning the Bronco Nagurski Trophy? Well, Tyler James is the exalted question ordereth sorter. So <laughs> both Father Bob and I are merely sheep in that equation. Um, as far as the the thoughts on Xavier Watts winning the Bronco Nagurski Award, to me, this is what college football is all about or should be all about. A kid who comes to Notre Dame doesn't play a lick as a preferred at his preferred position, wide receiver as a freshman, and during COVID, stays the course and unselfishly moves to defense the following season in 2021 when injuries piled up and his team really needed him. Then he worked his ass off and look what he turned into. I just think this is one of the best stories that I've covered, one of the best kids that I've covered. And one of the few times I've been right about a kid (laughs) in his new position, I was (laughs) bullish on Watts moving to defense and being a really good safety. I can't say that I envisioned him winning the Nagurski award, but I thought he had a future at that position. And I am over the moon happy for this particular young man because of who he is and how hard he worked. Yeah, I didn't... uh... Even as a finalist, I didn't think that he would win. Not that I didn't think he deserved to win, but I just didn't think the seven interceptions would be enough to sort of push him over the edge from a national uh, voting base or whatever. Um, but it did, so that was pretty cool to see. Um, like like Eric mentioned, that his story is is a is a great one, and uh, his perseverance through um, his personal uh, life and situation with his his dad being in a wheelchair. Um, for the majority of his life and then um, how that's motivated him and, and him sticking at Notre Dame through a position switch. Those, those, those stories are less frequent these days, seemingly. So to see him get that kind of accolade, I think is pretty cool. Um, as for question order, I try to put the the questions that are most relevant to the day's news or the week's news from our subscribers on the inside lounge towards the top. So that alone gets you an advantage, Bob. But uh, my dad's also name is Bob. So maybe, maybe there's some preference there too. So 
congratulations. You got the first question this week, but I can't make any promises that you'll, you'll get the first question next week. All right. Next question is from TCND five, four, three. Uh, another one on the Insider Lounge. I haven't heard this explicitly mentioned, but are the high numbers of players in the portal highly correlated to the COVID year? I am assuming a lot of schools are also like ND, where there are few with expiring eligibility, but large recruiting classes. How many players have expiring eligibility at the end of next season? Would that change the number? You know, there this um, TCND, this goes to some broader questions, too. And I'll try to condense it all into this. So the sixth years do play into this. And in Notre Dame's case in particular, balancing the classes becomes more challenging because of Notre Dame's transfer policy. It's easy to add grad transfers or freshmen, hard to add in the middle, although they're attempting to do so with Riley Leonard. To, to your question about next year, we don't have the final number Right now, with this snapshot, and I'm including people like Joe Alt and Audric Estime in there, right now there are 13 players with expiring eligibility. That number will go down because of the Alts and the Estimes. It will go up because of some grad transfers they add. So I would think it would be maybe a little bit higher than 13 when all is said and done. Um, and that 13 also includes incoming nickel transfer Jordan Clark um, as well. And then um, would that change the number in future years? I think when we get past this COVID year, the dynamic of transfers will change. But also the reasons and the volume of transfers may change as well. So it's really difficult to predict with any certainty where this is all headed. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's going to make a significant difference. Um, There definitely, there are a lot of graduate students that are able to transfer um, for one more year that probably just would not be playing football anymore without the COVID exemption. Um, But I do think that, I mean, the majority of, of, I don't, I don't know this for certain, but I'm, I'm fairly confident that the majority of, of kids in the transfer portal are undergraduates. Um, and I don't see that changing Will that percentage raise probably a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the transfer, like you mentioned, the transfer portal situation is, is going to evolve in terms of kids finding out like, okay, how well has this worked for others? Like, is this actually the best path for me? Should I be more like Xavier Watts? Um, and, and give give this school another shot. So I think there are – it's going to evolve in a number of different ways, the COVID year being one of them. Um, the COVID year, I think, has specifics in Notre Dame helped because Notre Dame – it's easier to, for Notre Dame to get graduate transfers, and the pool of graduate transfers is bigger, whereas once that goes away, that's going to shrink a little bit, and then I think Notre Dame is going to be – in a tougher situation if it doesn't start accepting more undergraduate transfers. Next question is from at Ron bunch of numbers. There is a lot of buzz about Riley Leonard coming to Notre Dame. I see him as a clone. I assume he means clone. He, he spelled it as colon um, of Sam Hartman. And that didn't get the team to playoffs or the January 1st or January 1st bull. Why should fans think this will have better results than playing a quarterback on the roster already? And not a semicolon. Um, <laughs> I, I think that sometimes we we just extrapolate one particular instance 
to the nth degree. And you can find examples of schools that are very successful with transfer quarterbacks, and you can find schools that are successful with having developed their own. I think that having developed their own number is going to get smaller as we get deeper into the transfer portal era, just because of the caliber of quarterbacks that are entering like Kyle McCord, my goodness, a high four-star recruit who started 12 games for a team that was in the playoff picture until the very end. And he jumps in and I I mentioned, uh, you know, earlier that um, in our conversation with Pete Byrne, you know, Penix, Daniels, Knicks, the three quarterbacks who are Heisman finalists are all former, formal former portal guys. That's hard to say. Hmm. Um, it, and again, Riley Leonard isn't a clone of Sam Hartman. They have very different skill sets. I, I, it would have been interesting to see what Duke's record would have been had Riley Leonard stayed healthy all yeah. year. Uh, in the Florida State game, I think they had a chance to win that game against Florida State with um, Jordan Travis. They were driving for a really important touchdown, and then they put their back up into the game, and Florida State just squashed them from that point on in the rest of the game. So I think you could be open-minded to both scenarios, but I think you are taking a much larger risk not having a portal guy than having a portal guy on your roster, at least in 2024. Yeah, and it's it's different because the team that Riley Leonard would be joining is different than the one that Sam Hartman will be joining, right? The strengths of the offense, I think are going to be different. Um, Or at least this, how strong, like, I I don't, I'm going to need some serious convincing over the next 10 months or or I guess eight months is probably the best way to uh, name it. Nine months. That Notre Dame's offensive line is going to be better next year than it was this year. Like if you're losing Joe Walt and potentially Blake Fisher, I don't know. Like that's all that's and Z Corral. That's a lot. That's a a long way to climb to get better than what you were this past year. So is it better to have a guy who's more of a dual threat quarterback like Riley Leonard um, than someone like Sam Hartman, who earlier in his career, I think was more dual threat, but he was not a guy that was going to keep it and run it unless he was told to or saw an opportunity to run downfield. I think there weren't a lot of designed like zone or there weren't a lot of like zone reads that that Sam Hartman was going to keep it on where I think Riley Leonard would would do that differently. I don't see them as very similar players like I mean on numbers alone Sam Hartman is, was a has been a much more prolific passer than than Riley Leonard has been. Um now if you're just saying well neither of those guys are going to make the difference between getting you into the playoffs I think I would probably disagree. I think Sam Hartman could have. He didn't. I think Riley Hart, Riley Leonard can um, just because of the results of the season. And I think it's putting too much on Sam Hartman, too. Like, it's not just Sam Hartman's fault that Notre Dame didn't make it to the playoffs or a January 1st bowl. Um, and Notre Dame is clearly working to bring in some wide receivers to complement um, its next quarterback as well, and that could pay pay dividends for the Irish next season, too. All right, next question is from Robert Halicki at bhalicki5859. Hi, fellas. First time in a long time. Sorry about that. Number one, what two tackles will play if Alton Fisher do not? 
Number two, after tonight, safety tonight being Monday night, safety is the next new biggest question mark for the team. If Xavier Watts leaves, do we go portal? And does anyone stand out that is currently available? Well, I think Tosh Baker and Emil Wagner would be the starters yep. in the bowl game if both Fisher and Alt opted out. Those have been the number two tackles all year, and I don't see reason why Notre Dame would change that. I haven't studied the I haven't, let me put it this way. I haven't kept up with the portal incoming portal as Tyler has. So I'll let him answer that. I do know that Clemson had a three-year starter that jumped in there today. That's a pretty good player. And I think Notre Dame does need uh, a portal safety at this point, whether Xavier Watts comes back or not. I think they need one given all the other departures of the older players, all the other ones on the roster have freshman eligibility, whether that's redshirt freshman or true freshman. I think maybe one internal um, solution or at least experiment that you could think of if he ends up not going into the portal himself as cornerback Clarence Lewis, who played some nickel for the Irish last year. Yeah, I don't have, like, Notre Dame should go after this specific safety in mind. Um so I'll have to bail on that part of the question, but I do think that is something that Notre Dame will be entertaining and is actively entertaining. I have not um, been able to pin down specific names. Otherwise I would mention them to you. Um, I don't know that we know necessarily that Xavier Watts is going to leave Notre Dame. I think there's a a chance that he stays. Um, Like I mentioned earlier, Notre Dame is, is selling, on its own Notre Dame football account that he's playing in the Sun Bowl. Um, so that doesn't that doesn't guarantee anything, but that at least signifies he's not opting out to play to to move on to the NFL. Um and I think you nailed the the uh the tackle replacements. I think it's Wagner and and Baker and we'll see how those guys do. I think it'll be a good audition would be a good audition for them heading into next season, although I've made my stance clear for weeks if not months now that Notre Dame should look at some tackle options um for transfer and I, I I believe they are are doing so. Yeah and and Oregon State's pass rush is good and their run defense is really good. So it'll be a good test if those guys have to start. Next question is from Marie BFRA at BFRA underscore Marie of the players currently in the portal that you know Notre Dame is seriously considering who are the most important that they land for next year. Well they got um, Jordan Clark at nickel. I think that was a really nice pickup for Notre Dame. I'm going to go by position rather than players because there's options. So these are the positions that I think they, they need to get and maybe more than one at a couple of these positions, but defensive end, wide receiver, quarterback, safety, and kicker. I think to a lesser extent, tight end, offensive tackle, and interior defensive lineman. But if you could get a good one there, especially with Holden stays having left. Now I think with not knowing Mitchell Evans, you know, his recovery, you assume he's going to be good, but, but uh, that might be a smart thing to look at suddenly with him gone again, Tyler mentioned the offensive tackle and again, interior defensive line, but, but lesser so than those other positions. Yeah. I, I think Obviously, Riley Leonard at quarterback is one of them. 
Um, and I'll probably just stick to quarterback and wide receiver because that's the one position, the two positions that Notre Dame has made the most traction with so far. Um, of the receivers, I would probably go with Chris Mitchell from FIU. Um, he's not, he's coming from the smallest program, but I think he's the fastest of the guys that they're looking at in terms of receiver. I think Notre Dame is probably going to add more than one. So it's not an either or situation. Um, so Notre Dame could add Bo Collins or Joshua, Josh Kelly. For some reason, I keep wanting to call him Joshua, but it's just Josh Kelly. Um, I, I think I like Kelly more than I like Bo Collins. Um, but I think both would be welcomed additions to, to Notre Dame because, they need to have more options at wide receiver. Uh, and those guys are experienced and have, have been productive um, at their previous um, positions. All right. Next question is from at Mac underscore Corona. There seems to be more focus on who is entering the portal over who we are gaining from the portal. When the dust settles, in your opinion, will Notre Dame have a net gain in talent about the same or a net loss? I would say, um, Based on Notre Dame's ability to be able to to finish finish and, and get the portal guys that they want, I think you will get a net gain in the short term. And Tyler brought this up the other day, whether it was on the last podcast or our football never sleeps, and they're all blending together now <laughs> for me. That you know, with Braylon James and Rico Flores, you're potentially losing years of production right where if you get a portal wide receiver you only have them for one year and then are you do you have enough young receivers coming along and and so we kind of kicked that around but in the short term i do think notre dame will have a net gain from the transfer market yeah i think because of the long-term ramifications i think i have to trend towards net loss unless notre dame is able to get some like freshman transfers to that will be sophomores next year i think it's just the the long-term potential ramifications of what you're losing there and even like a holden stays like yes notre dame has good tight ends so they're going to be fine like i I don't i'm not that concerned i do think that's a position that notre dame could entertain adding someone to because mitchell evans could go into next season not being ready to go based off of his injury. Um, so, the, I mean, you're, you're just losing a lot of talent with, with those kinds of guys, um, especially when you lose the young receivers, like you mentioned, which I think most people believe that those are good guys long-term. And obviously if Rico Flores proved to be uh, reliable as a freshman. Uh, so I think, I think the goal is to try to come close to breaking even. Um, I, I guess like if you're talking about quarterback specifically, I think Notre Dame's going to probably go ahead if, if say you lose some, one of your underclassmen, um, as long as it's not CJ Carr, which I don't expect that to be, um, I would, I would probably take Riley Leonard's one year over, over some of those guys. I don't, because quarterback is so uncertain. Like I don't, you don't even know if they're ever going to play in Notre Dame. Right. Um, so many guys actually don't, uh, so I would I would say sort of the goal is to sort of like break even and then just keep bringing in talented freshman recruiting classes um and sort of fill your needs as you see them. So I don't it's not necessarily like a one to one thing com- that you can compare um but I do think that Notre Dame is going to get a decent amount of talent out of the transfer portal um and 
It was kind of what I was indicating like last week on Twitter. I, I, and people were not happy about it because it was in the middle of more and more receivers leaving. Then I said something to the effect of like, this is the time of year where we learn which parts of the fan base can handle the realities of the transfer portal era. And like, Hey, the last week was the time where you lose guys. Like now Notre Dame can start trying to replace them. Like it's not like this wasn't like the only thing that was going to happen, which I was trying to, that's what I was getting at. Like you're going to lose guys. This is how the transfer portal works. Like you cannot guarantee that you're going to maintain all of your guys. Even if they had, some of them had good seasons when changes happen, when, when failures happen, um, that, that is the reality of, of, of modern college football. And you have to sort of be patient with, what the end result is. And uh, I do think that Notre Dame in the end will get a, a number of good guys to, to replace some of the guys that are leaving. All right. Another question from Marie BF4A. Overall, I think people are pretty excited about the Mike Brown hire. Do you have any concerns that he has once again from, and the Cincinnati coaching tree? I, I think I'm missing some words there. That might be on me. I know it's always better to hire people that you know, but when you do that, do you end up with too many like-minded coaches Expanding on that, it's good if you see some things the same way, but I don't think it's good if the entire room thinks the same way. Well, I'm I'm shocked, Marie, that you didn't ask us to put a letter grade on that. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I'm teasing Marie. She's wonderful. Um, I, I can see both sides of it. And, and just because you've worked with somebody in the past doesn't mean you have similar ideas. I mean, Mike Brown had, you know, they overlapped. Marcus and and Mike overlapped a couple years at Cincinnati. I mean, when you're hiring somebody, the benefit of knowing them is not getting a bad surprise, not getting this um, crazy, you know, bad chemistry that you didn't see coming, that they interviewed really well, and then it turns out not to be good. I think you want a mix of both. I can understand Marcus as a young coach having a better comfort level with people that he's worked with before. But but I do think this depends on the individual. I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all answer here. You, you know, if you'd work together with um, Phil Parker, who just won the Broyles Award, and he was going to be your next defensive coordinator, I'd say, boy, that was great. And if <laughs> you hadn't worked with Phil Parker, I'd say that's also a great hire. Yeah. Um, so... Again, I think it's less of a template and more really the individual and kind of looking past the thing. But I think it's a great question. I think it's great things that Marcus needs to um, think about. But but again, I don't think it's one size fits all. Yeah, and I don't – I mean, just because everyone's on the same staff doesn't mean they all think the same way, right? I mean, Eric and I disagree on things, and we've worked together for (laughs) over a decade now. Um, so, I'm always right, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. we do disagree. <laughs> um, I so I, I think, and I, I know that sounds weird because like we're like our jobs are way different than coaches, but like that's the only way I can sort of relate to some of these things because I I don't know that I can speak with authority of like what it's like to to have worked with someone in a coaching on a coaching staff and what how that affects you. But I I think certainly the trust matters, the success that you're more familiar with the success that they had and you probably have a better sense if the success that they had was because because of them or they didn't have a role in that success. You know what I mean? Like, like that was one of my questions about Gino Gadouli at Cincinnati. His like item 1A and 1B on his resume, in my opinion, is the, the development of Desmond Ritter. 
as someone who didn't cover him when he was coaching Desmond Ritter, how do you distinguish if Desmond Ritter carried Gino Gadouli or Gino Gadouli carried Desmond Ritter? And uh, obviously the likelihood is sometimes some sort of combination of the two things, but I would, I would like to think that Marcus Freeman and Gino Gadouli, because Gino has worked with, with uh, Mike Brown closely at, at Cincinnati would have a sense for, okay, did the wide receivers that were three-star recruits that ended up being NFL draft picks from Cincinnati, was that because of Mike Brown's teaching or was there some other factor that led to those guys being that? Um, and so I think that insight is helpful more than it would be detrimental to have all been shared the same office and maybe think the same way. Um, because I think you can think differently. And, and, and Marcus, I mean, how uh, – how often are the wide receivers is and the wide is the wide receivers coach um and the defensive coordinator coming up with the same ideas? Like I think they're they're the jobs are so different that I don't know that that would um correlate, whereas obviously the the working relationship between Gino Gadulli and Mike Brown would would be one that they're always working together and maybe the comfort there would be something that you would be worried about if they if they do get too comfortable and that, that they're not pushing to themselves to grow because of that. All right, next question is from at Jeremy Lamb 19. Can you please explain what specific traits Notre Dame looks for to fill the field, boundary, and slot receiver positions, and how are they not more interchangeable? Okay, and Tyler can touch on this if he feels like I missed a spot here. So the boundary receiver at Notre Dame, they're usually looking for a tall physical receiver who can muscle cornerbacks and win 50-50 balls. Speed isn't a premium there, although it you would love to have it. Um, you're usually playing against a more physical corner, but you don't have as much space. Um, and think about Chase Claypool as a college receiver. That's that's what Notre Dame was looking for, a boundary receiver. The field receiver, you're looking for a guy who can stretch the field vertically and put a de- defensive coordinator in a predicament of having to give up run defense or safety flexibility to deal with that particular receiver. Think of the effect Will Fuller had on opposing defenses with his pure speed. And then a slot receiver, you want to get mismatches inside. So you want somebody with elite speed who uses the whole field. If you can get some physicality with it, like Emeka Ibuka from Ohio State, all the better. Great route runner, great in space. Notre Dame hasn't had a lot of good slot receivers in recent years. There's some real promise at that position with some of those. And they, even they don't have the same body types. Jordan Faison brings more physicality to the slot receiver position and, and precise route running. Jordan Faison is kind of a pure speed guy. Um, and so why aren't they more inter- interchangeable? Well, you can understand if you have a slower receiver or one that's not a good route runner as your field receiver, you're not going to challenge that defensive coordinator uh, to to manipulate his defense to deal with that receiver. And the same thing, if you put somebody that's slightly built into the boundary, they may get muscled by a physical corner um, and not be able to operate in that confined space. Uh, So that's my answer there. Yeah. I mean, I think they are interchangeable at times. Like I think this is sort of the base, like this is what, your ideals would be, but you're not, they're not lining up in the same formation all the time. They're used in different ways. Um, 
I mean, if you think about like the way that Jaden Thomas was used sometimes um, as a blocker, it helps if your boundary receiver can do that, but he's not necessarily lined up as a boundary receiver in, in those certain certain formations where he's being used as a as a blocker in tight and stuff like that. So there's different ways that those guys mix and match. Um, I think he also played a lot of slot in 2022. Yeah, and he can play in the slot too, and and some of what works there um, is different for his like his ability in the slot is different because it can help the running game more from that close alignment. Um, and he could sort of have a bigger body to make catches sort of like what a tight end would be able to use um, to their advantage. Um, and so there's different ways to approach it. I, I think um, it's, it all, it's always evolving. I think we will be learning um, what sort of opinions Mike Brown may have on the matter. If it's different than Chancey Stuckey, um, if I, I imagine Jared Parker has some say in that as well, especially as someone who was a former wide receivers coach. Um, so I think, um, they are interchangeable, um, and that they're not always going to line up in the same spot. Um, and some guys can play more than one as well. So I think there, it is, it's sort of just the base. It's, it's sort of like, um, we talk about Jack Kaiser as a Rover linebacker, but he plays more than one linebacker's position. Um, and he can do different things. So I think there are, um, Sometimes it may be a little bit of a simplification um, of things to just speak about them in those specific terms. And and a guy like Michael Floyd could have played any of those positions and did. Right. In fact, later in their career, he moved. They moved him around to try to confuse the defense and not get uh, and to get better matchups from the defense. Right. And it can be. It can. It, it can be dependent on how the defense wants to play things. Not not all defenses are going to have a boundary cornerback or a field cornerback. They may do left and right, and so you might have like you could have two different guys that go against Cam Hart on a, on a on a given day. Um, maybe one is better at at going against Cam Hart than the other, and it, maybe it's not your typical boundary receiver. Maybe it's your field receiver, and vice versa. So I think that the the defense can also dictate how you want to um, take advantage of your your matchups there as well. All right, next question is from at I Robert Doyle. I don't live in the land of what ifs, but I like to visit sometimes. If Notre Dame repels Ohio State in the fourth quarter, do you think that momentum could have propelled the team through the maddening stretches of inconsistency we saw and given the CFP, CFP another scenario to bobble? Robert, I'm going to say no, and this is why. I, I'm not sure that they don't lose at Louisville even if they beat Ohio State. And they may have lost at Duke had they beat yeah. Ohio State. They mm-hmm. may have been not, you know, felt more pressure in that situation that got tight at the end of the game, given there was a lot more on the line there. And it wouldn't have pre- prevented the onset of the loaded box and the from opposing defenses and the NC double or the ND staff's ability to defeat it. So to me, no, it it doesn't change that. Now they wouldn't be in the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl if they had beaten Ohio State, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. I don't. I still think the weaknesses of the team would have been able to have been exploited, and the teams would have figured that out regardless of whether or not Ohio State won or lost. And then I think you, I think we all, if 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 we're playing the hypothetical, I think you still have to assume the injuries at wide receiver that Notre Dame had, and then that that sort of amplified the weaknesses of that position um, and led to some of the situations. So I I think it was not, it was not just mindset that led to Notre Dame's inconsistencies. I think some of it was game planning. Um, 
as well. So I don't, I, I, now maybe, maybe Jared Parker as a first time play caller, maybe he approaches play calling differently, having that win against Ohio state under his belt. Maybe, maybe what happened at the end of the Ohio state game shakes him a little bit, but I don't know that I saw a team that was capable of running the season undefeated because their opponents were, were talented. I, I think Notre Dame probably would have and should have beat Clemson, but that Louisville game, like, I, I don't, I don't know that I can point to like one or two things that makes it go the other way. I mean, certainly Sam Hartman's turnovers make that a closer game. Um, but I think, I think Louisville's thoroughly outplayed Notre Dame in that game. And I didn't think it was particularly that close, even though the score wasn't that lopsided. Um, I, I think that that Louisville won that game and probably would have won it under different circumstances as well. Uh, right. Uh, oh, I wanted to get your thoughts on this, Eric. It was a question that was on the insider lounge. It relates to this, uh, with, with Robert Doyle's, uh, question about the CFP having to bobble this scenario. If Notre Dame goes undefeated, they're in the playoff, right? They wouldn't, they're not getting left out like Florida State. Do you agree with me? The committee said it was Jordan Travis and didn't allude to their schedule. I don't think Notre Dame gets, left out because then they have a win over Ohio state. Right. And, and I think that's a big resume builder and, and Notre Dame in their end of November games didn't mess around either. I mean, they trucked Wake Forest and Stanford Yeah, in the 2015. If you remember Notre Dame started to lose some ground before they lost at the end of the year, because they were struggling with teams like that. They barely beat a really bad Boston College team yeah. at Fenway Park, and that eroded their argument in the playoffs. So I think 12-0 and Notre Dame gets in. Now 11-1, and no, they're not in. All right. Next question is from JK at Carnoustie 18th. Contenders for strength and conditioning, Coach. I have no idea – as far as names, because I haven't studied that given everything else we have on our plate right now. But what I do know is that Marcus wants somebody that's very progressive in that, that he's looking for a new school kind of strength and conditioning coordinator that's really on the cutting edge of sports science, the cutting edge of weightlifting and so forth. And I'm not saying that Matt Bayless wasn't. I think Matt Bayless was an incredible combination of old school and new school. But I do think that 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 new thinking sports science is going to be emphasized with the higher. Yeah, I I feel bad because I feel like we get asked this regularly. And I think it's just because there's just so so little information about it out there. But I don't I don't that that hasn't allowed me to get get find an answer or find better suggestions. It's just uh not a, a lane where I have a lot of information yet. Um, and uh, I've sort of just anticipated we'll find out about it, who, who it is once they hire that person, and then we can tell you about them because I, I just don't know a lot about strength and conditioning coaches. It's just not an area that um, I'm able to spend a lot of my time uh, studying. Tyler used or, the term bandwidth earlier. We do have very limited bandwidth. Yeah. Pursue that right now with everything else that's going on. But not that it's not important. I think even when we get to finalists and guys coming in for interviews, it's more realistic than them just casting a net and us listing everybody who might be in that wide net because it is a wide net. 
All right. Our next question is from Bill Marjaluski at the Real Big Marge. Is the new president good for football? I will let you know when I get a chance to talk to myself or hear him speak on the matter. I'm not going to project that. I have. I really don't have any idea. Yeah, this is another one of those, like, I don't run in the circles of Notre Dame presidents uh, or um, the positions that they held prior to that. So I, I don't know that yet. It would be it would be t- too reactionary and too uninformed for me to give you an opinion at this point. Um, but certainly it does matter. Like, same with the strength and conditioning coach. It, it 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 matters greatly how much the president is invested in um college football um and the way college football will continue to um develop and evolve um because there are lots of um circumstances that are being created and uh changing um around college football that will need that Notre Dame will need to have a, a voice in and and make strong decisions with regards to and and uh, and I hope that we do have the opportunity to talk to the new president. I know I I got to talk to Father Jenkins very early in his time before he he was actually the president kind of incoming. Father Malloy wasn't out the door, but Father Jenkins was very instrumental in the firing of Tyrone Willingham and 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 uh, cutting that regime off after three years. And he wasn't even formally in charge at that point, it was kind of in a changeover where father Malloy was still there. All right. Next question is from at, uh, or ND on the road on the inside. Uh, Tyler loves to talk about the priests. <laughs> ND on the road says, uh, does the Notre Dame football team do anything for Christmas as far as community outreach slash engagement? This started under um, Brian Kelly, but they've continued with Marcus so far that, Uh, shop with a player program where they go to the Meyer stores in, in town here. There's one in Mishawaka near Tyler's house, actually. Hmm. And these kids get a hundred dollar gift card to shop and they get to shop with the players. And it's really a cool thing. I've, I've covered and seen them do other projects as well. And I'm sure there will be more than the shop with a player, but that's kind of their signature event. Yeah, yeah, I know they do some other things, but that is like their their big marquee event, and that's one of the like they invite the media to cover as well. Um, I've been to that several years, and um, as long as my schedule allows, we'll probably be at it again this year because I do live so close <laughs> to that mire, as my as Eric indicated. All right, our last one is from at Charles W. Wolf. Do you have any information on the rumored game in Rome? Would it be within the next five years? Um. <laughs> Again, this is a bandwidth uh, question for me. I, I I look at Notre Dame's scheduling, and they don't even have a 2024 finished schedule yet. Right. So I would be really speculating on the whole Rome thing. And again, I think with the new athletic director and the new president coming in, a, a timeline could be realistic quickly, or it could be something that is deferred forever. And never happens. So I have no idea. And I should have remembered how to say that in Italian, but it's been <laughs> a long time since I've used it. I only spoke Italian with my grandparents. Yeah. I mean, it's been a a concept that Notre Dame has been considering for quite some time. So I, it's not, so I would imagine there's a lot of things that have been discussed and, and tossed around that would allow for that to come to fruition in short order, if Notre Dame can make it work, but I, I don't know the latest on that, on that side of things. Um, it's just funny that we're getting a lot of questions that aren't related to 
the current football team when there's just so much happening with the current football team right now that I just I can't I can't keep up with it all, guys. I, I apologize for not having more answers for some of these things, but um it's it feels like signing day over and over again <laughs> uh, uh these last few days with the, all the transfer portal activity um the bull even just the bull announcement was nuts and we spent way too much time waiting for that that i would like back into my for my life but um we have plenty of things to talk about and we appreciate the interest and we'll hopefully we can get some answers and some clarity to some of those questions that we just don't have enough information on right now all right, that is it for today's episode of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with someone who has restaurant recommendations for El Paso. That would be very helpful. Thank you. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we're offering a 30-day free trial to our podcast listeners who want to try out a subscription to InsideIndieSports.com. So please take advantage of that with the code NDPOD. That's N-D-P-O-D. Our football never sleeps from YouTube. Um, We'll be in the podcast feed later this week, and we'll continue to have a podcast and football never sleeps on a weekly basis through the bowl game. And uh, you should know by now that there's plenty of action surrounding the Irish this time of year. So stick with InsideNDSports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs. (laughs) 